power of the resurrection in Christ's name. Amen. Our passage is Romans 4, 13 and 14. Um, and, and I will try to, by God's grace, try, try to do, uh, do justice to this great, great passage. Um, and, um, you know, last week we, we spoke about our father Abraham and how important that was to us. And unfortunately this truth um, has somewhat been lost in our Christian world today. That we don't, we don't fully appreciate um, Abraham as a father. And we've so separated Christianity from roots that in so many ways, um, you know, it's, it, it's no wonder that, that the Old Testament sometimes just, just seems strange to us. And, and 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 unemployable in our lives. You know, we can't we can't uh, we can't take that. And we can't use this. We we've so ripped our, our Christianity out of it, its roots and heritage. Uh, we've done we've done violent uh, things to this. Um, you know, and it, to me, the one of the, one of the the, the the scariest examples that that just it, I, and one of the things where I, I grew up used to it, and now I look back on that and think, how did it ever be? That 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 um, at any time people would see that it could be the word of God that if it just had the New Testament and Psalms, as if you didn't need any of the rest of the Old Testament. This 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 radical danger to this, and this week we'll go further in the study and speak on relationship with our fellow heirs, the nation of Israel. And as I was looking at this passage, studying after we. And even before we talked about it, I read uh, uh, John Piper and did a great job in his series of Romans uh, on, on this particular passage. And I loved what he wrote about, about this particular uh, passage in this section. He said, as we speak of our relationship between, with Israel and, our, and what this means for us, he says, uh, he asks the questions, why is this relevant for today's message? He says, because I am assuming, and I'm quoting from, from Piper, because I am assuming from Paul's teaching that Gentiles like you and me who trust in the Messiah, Jesus, are fellow heirs of the promise of Abraham. Because we are actual children of Abraham. We are true Jews. And I am also assuming that ethnic Jews who reject their Messiah, Jesus, will not be counted as a true Jew and will perish in their unbelief. This is not the point of the message, it is the basis of the message. We have developed it before and will develop again. He says this, this understanding of just how we relate to Israel is the very basis of the message and what Paul is saying. As Paul is sharing the gospel to them and, and trying to encourage them in the gospel and encourage them in the walk, he, he, he's using these, these Abraham passages and, and, and his very basis, what he's standing on, is, is just as applicable to us as Gentiles as it is to our Jewish brothers right beside of us. And he said, we, we have to understand this. If we're going to understand this, 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 what Paul is going to say here in Romans, we have to get this down. We have to understand what this means to us. We have to understand that Paul's message to the church of Rome and, and the way it applies today, we must, we must discuss a relationship with the Jewish nation. And, and, and you know, and, and I, don't, I don't believe that we've forgotten what we talked about last week. But, you know, I, I think we have, we have a couple of centuries of incorrect teaching to overcome. 
And I know me personally, I have a lifetime of, of what I believe is wrongful teaching to counter and overcome in my own life. So as we, as we look at this again and talk about this and center upon this, I think it's an important part. So let's look at the Romans passage. Look at Romans, Romans 4, 13 and 14. As we cover what it means for us to have Abraham as a father and to be co-heirs of the promise. Romans 4, 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the, inherent, the adherence of the law who are the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. This is, this is the reality. This is the truth. There is only one church. There is only one church. And there is only one Israel. And they're the same. There's only one. And, and, and for, for the Jews, for, for, to, for, for anyone, to somehow have a salvation that is not fulfilled in Jesus Christ, it, it, it's not only not biblical, but it's unloving toward the Jewish nation to, to, to have this idea that there can be a Jewish nation, there can be a, a salvation for the Jews that is not centered and fulfilled in Jesus, Jesus Christ is unloving to the Jew. It, 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 it's removing, it's taking something away. Because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the hopes of Israel. He is the yes to all God's promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God, not, not some of the promise, not most of all the promises of God find their yes in Him. And that is why through Him we utter amen to God for His glory. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment for all the promises, both to all the Jews and all the Gentiles. There is only one fulfiller, and that's Christ. There's only one Messiah. That's Christ. He is the Messiah. Matthew 6, 16, uh, 16, Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. John 20, 31, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have eternal life. Or Acts 9, 20, 22, or 1 John 2, 22, or Mark 14. Any of these verses, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. There's only one, and he's us. To reject him, to reject Jesus Christ, is to reject God the Father. You cannot, you cannot have God the Father and reject Christ. And to confess him as true and Lord of your life is to be reconciled to the Father. 1 John 2.23 Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Again, going back to John Piper. In other words, Jews who reject Jesus as their Messiah and Savior, and Savior forfeit their promises as Jews. If a Jew rejects Jesus Christ, they forfeit all the promises 
They cannot have some of the promise and deny Christ. No, he is the fulfillment of all the promises. There's only one way. So anyone who rejects Jesus as Messiah and Savior forfeit the promises of the Jews. And Gentiles who accept Jesus as Messiah and Savior become heirs of those promises. This is how we join into it. You know, last week we saw the story of the Gentile woman who came seeking healing. And this week we'll look very briefly at the, at the uh, centurion, the Gentile centurion, who came seeking healing for a servant in Matthew 8. You know, and it's sort of significant that Jesus, that this is in Matthew. Matthew is written to the Jews. He's written to the Jewish nation. It's actually written in Hebrew for them. And he wrote to them the story in, in the centurion. Chapter 8, verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is laying paralyzed at home, suffering terrible. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes. And to my servant do this, and he does this. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I say to you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. In verse 11, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many Many of who? Many of those who come with faith. Many of those who come with faith are going to come and recline at the table while the sons of the kingdom are going to cast out. They if they reject, they have no faith in Jesus Christ, they, are they are forfeit their promise and they are thrown out. This is what Jesus taught. This is what the apostles taught. Gentiles become True Jews by faith in the Messiah. Jesus and the Jews forfeit their final inheritance of Jews if they reject the faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And it's a profound misunderstanding of Christianity to describe this teaching as anything other than what has been biblical, the way it's always the way Jesus saw it and, and Jews and Pauls and others. Piper puts it this way. The biblical way to say it is that salvation is from the Jews. John 4, 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Our salvation comes from the Jews. And the promises made to Abraham are the root that supports all salvation. Romans eleven eighteen. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. We're joined in this. And the only way for any Gentile to be saved is to become a fellow heir of Abraham by trusting in Jesus, in Jesus the Messiah, or in trusting in the Jewish Messiah. And the Jewish heritage is our only hope. Judaism is so central to Christianity, there is no salvation without it. 
And Jesus Christ is so central to Judaism, there is no salvation without him. It is not arrogant for Christians to say to Jews, we have no hope without your heritage and your Messiah, and neither do you. We have, we have no hope without your heritage and your, or in your Messiah, but neither do you. We Gentiles who believe on Jesus, the Messiah, are fellow heirs with Abraham. And with him, we inherit the world. Jews and Gentiles together who believe in Jesus are heirs of the world. Paul said, this is, this is, this is where he's at in this gospel as he's sharing to them, as he's writing to this church that's mixed up of Jews and Gentiles. He's telling them, we are fellow heirs. You can't say, your father Abraham, not my father. No, no, if he is not your father Abraham, if you want to reject Judaism, church, if Gentiles, if you want to reject all that, you have no part in Christ. Just as any Jew that rejected Christ has no part in God. So and from that, this is the foundation, this is the basis as Paul is teaching to the church in Rome. In Romans 4.13. As he wrote to them that in this, we are fellow heirs of the world. I loved what John Calvin wrote about this passage. When I read the commentary about this, he said, you know, as, as you're reading through this and you're reading about our, our salvation and reading about our righteousness, you come to this part and he said, and, and now you're heirs to the world. And Calvin wrote, since now he speaks of eternal salvation, the apostle seems to have somewhat unseasonably led his readers to the world. In other words, what are we doing here? We were talking about salvation. We were talking about righteousness. Why are we talking about inheriting the world? Why did he say we're heirs of the world? How is that going to encourage us? How, how does that, how, what does that mean for us here? What does it mean that you're an heir to the world? And what difference does it make now? You've been given the promises of God. So what does it mean that you're heir of the world? And you know, the interesting thing is, Paul's not quoting any Old Testament passage. There's no Old Testament passage which comes out flat out and says, Abraham will be heir to the world. He seems to be, he, he's, he's combining all the promises of Abraham together. He's joining them all up and, and, and packing and said that, 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 that this is the promise to Abraham. Verse 13, this is the promise to Abraham. And so he's taking these, these great truths, these great promises, and, and bringing them all together and summing them up. And we see three particular that we'll look at. Genesis 17, 8. First promise. God says to Abraham, I will give you and your descendants after you the land of your, of your sojourning. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Notice that the everlasting possession is given to Abraham as well as to his descendants. It's not saying, all right, here's this land, Abraham, and I'm going to give it to all your descendants. You're going to be dead, but I'm going to give it to them. He said, no, this is yours, Abraham. This is your land and their land for, for all eternity. How does that work? How do you own something after you're dead? You know, you, you sign the lease, you have the, 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 the properties in your name. 
But what do you own after you're dead on this world? Nothing, right? He's, he, he's, he, he's implying this. You, know, you cannot be an heir if you're dead. God is telling him that you will be raised from the dead. You will enjoy this everlasting possession with, with your descendants. No, not now, not today. But there is a day in the future when you will be enjoying, you will be heirs to all this world, and you will enjoy it with your descendants. The next promise. I will establish my covenant between me and your descendants after you throughout your generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants. I will be God to you. What God says, I will be God to you. Jesus explains what, what he meant by this. He says, I am the God of Abraham. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. In other words, say that God is truly your God, and yet that you're defeated by death. It is inconceivable to Jesus and to Paul. The promise that God made to Abraham's, the, the promise that God would be Abraham's God means Abraham will rise from the dead. He will not, that death cannot defeat us. That death cannot hold us. This is why he can be an heir to the world. He's not dead. He cannot be stopped by death. Nor can we, if we are fellow heirs by faith. In third, Genesis 22, 7, God promised Abraham, I will, am greatly, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sands on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. There is no enemy that can withstand us as heirs of Abraham. All the, Abraham, all the heirs of Abraham have everything. Everything belongs to us. There's not, there's, there's no, there's no, well, somebody gets, you get this part and you get that part. No, you are heir to the world. Everything. There's only one possession. There's only one promise. There's only one heir that receives everything. It's the world. It's all of it. It's all together. And Paul writes in Romans, if you're not heir to the world, you're heir to nothing. This is the promise. This is the promise that God made. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, he made the same promise. The meek will do what? They're on the earth. There's only one earth, only one world. There's not separates. There's not, there's not several. There's one in this promise. And, and so it, it, it's all together. There is a restoration in Jesus Christ, this world. The cosmos, this Greek word, the cosmos will be restored. And all that are in Christ will be the inheritors. The meek will inherit the earth. So if we're the heirs, and we're going to inherit the earth, and that is everything, you know, I wonder why we don't talk about it more. Why isn't this a bigger deal? Why is this more of a focus to us? Why don't we, I mean, you know, why, why is this something we, we, we spend more time talking about it? Because compared with God, it's not a big deal, is it? Abraham had that promise. Abraham had been given this promise. He knew all this. But Hebrews, Hebrews 11 says, 
By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place that he was to receive the inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in the tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has a foundation, whose designer and builder is God. He said, while Abraham was living on this earth, was walking on this earth, he was looking for something better. He was looking for something greater. Even if at, at, at having the whole world, there's something more that leads us on. The reality was, we find out he was not looking for a person or a place. He was looking for a person. The world is good. It's very good, but it's not Jesus Christ. He is our inheritance. It's about him. It centers in him. And Christ is only seen and received in faith. Romans 4.12 For he, the heirs of the world did not come to the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And Paul's been speaking of this. What does it mean, this righteousness from faith? This righteousness that comes through faith. Back to Romans 3, 22. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified, made righteous, spoken righteousness by his grace as a free gift, as, as his gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a perpetuation by his blood to be received by faith. This is, this is our inheritance. This is our promise. We receive this by faith. Or we go all the way back to, first, to chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, also the Greeks. For in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul's saying, this is, this, is, I, this is the message. This is, this is the heart of the gospel. And it's always been this way. It's always been by faith. There's never been any other method of salvation except faith. This is how the promise is always seen and received. Both by the Jewish nation and by us. It's always by faith, for there is only one salvation. The righteous shall live by faith. And, and quoting Habakkuk, in Habakkuk 2, verses 2 through 24, as, as Habakkuk's writing down this, this vision where, that ends in this, this uh, but the righteous one shall live by faith, he has this wonderful contrast. Habakkuk 2, 2 through 4. Write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on the tablets so one may easily read it. Make this clear for Habakkuk. People need to know this. People need to see this. Make it clear. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. And here's the, here's the vision. This is what he's contrasting. Look. His ego is inflated. He is without integrity. But the righteous one shall live by faith. There's only two ways to go. Either by your pride or by your effort or by your work. 
that inflates your ego, that leaves you empty, or the righteous live by faith. That's it. That's your choices. And Paul tells us the result. If you don't live by faith, the result is Romans 4.13. For if the inheritance of the law, who are, the, who are to be heirs, for if, the, for if it is the inheritance, the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. There is no hope if we're trying to live by our own ego and pride, by our own work. There is no hope. It ends up, your ego is inflated, but you're without integrity. The contrast is the righteous ones live by faith. To try to live by your own efforts is to, to render the faith null and the promises empty. You receive nothing because all of the promises are in Christ. If, you're not, if you have no faith in Christ, there's nothing. It's empty. There's no hope. As John Calvin's writing in his commentary on this view, he says, Paul declares expressly that the promise is abolished if we depend on, on work. Not that it's damaged, not that it's far off. No, the promise is abolished for us if we try to depend on our works. And it is especially necessary that this should be known, that when there is a reliance on work, faith is reduced to nothing. And thus, we also learn what faith is and what sort of righteousness ought that, ought that of works to be in which men may safely trust. He said, you need to know, this is so important here. Paul says, it's so important you understand this. That when there's a reliance on works, faith is reduced to nothing. And he says, and you need to know what your righteousness looks like. The Calvin went on. The apostle teaches us that faith perishes unless the soul Rest on the goodness of God. Faith, then, is not a naked knowledge of either God or the truth, nor is it a simple persuasion that God is. That's not faith. Faith is not just knowing that God is. Faith is not just knowing, well, God's a good person. Faith, he says, <laughs> he said, faith is the knowledge, or, or faith is a sure Knowledge of God's mercy. This is faith. We're absolutely sure of God's mercy, which is received from the gospel and brings peace of conscience with regard to God and rest to the mind. The sum of the matter then is this, that if salvation depends on keeping the law, the soul can have no confidence of reaching it. None. There is no hope. If your hope is somehow resting on you doing right and doing the right thing, you can have no confidence, no hope. Because if that's what it is, then you render all the promises of God empty and void. 
we must thus become wretched and lost if we are sent back to the works to find out the cause of this uh, or the certainty of our salvation. No hope. We are wretched and alone. When we, when we try to, 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 make it, to, to, to work by our pride or by our ego or try to work ourselves or make ourselves appear right, whether you are a Gentile or a Jew, you are wretched and lost. You have no hope. Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it's really difficult to please God, right? Without faith, it's really hard. I mean, it's really, really hard to please God, right? No. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For everyone, guys. Every, we're, all, we're all in the same place. We're all here. Without faith, it is impossible for us to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is our only, this, this is what it means. God, you're there and you're the rewarder of those who seek him. And I don't understand why. I know it's not because of any good in me. I look at myself, and, and, and there's nothing worth rewarding. We have, you have never done anything worth reward or, re- rewarding. But yet, God rewards those who seek him, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done, and he's the one who leads us to him, and he's the one who gives us faith. We are fellow heirs with Abraham and with everyone that calls Abraham father if their faith and our faith rest on a sure knowledge of God's mercy. We are together in this. This this teaching, this Judaism of the Old Testament is our heritage as much as theirs. If it's seen with faith. So when if you read Psalm 48, and if you see that as a city that, that was built by human hands, and this is what you're looking for, you're missing it. They missed it. But if they read that and they see it in faith, there's something more than that. It was the true, that was the true Israel. We must believe and trust that he is and that he is rewarder of those who seek him. Because if we are not fellow heirs with them, then we're not heirs at all. If we are not fellow heirs with them, then we are not heirs at all. So as we read this passage, Psalm 48, just what this means for us, what does it mean that we're reading about this Zion, the city of God on a hill? You know, this was, this was one of those, as I said, this is one of the, 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 the uh, enthronement psalms. And they would, when, when they have a king, and they would come, and it was this, this huge celebration to this work of God and, and this assurance that God was still watching over them and, and keeping them. 
And so when we read it today, we're not, we're not enthroning a, a humanly king. We're reading about that city on high that, that lasts forever. Our hope, that beautiful city, who's on his holy mountain. We're with Abraham. We're looking for the city which is to come. But these were these were these were songs of great celebration. These were songs that as that were part of that when they came together as a nation to sing this, this was this was what all the kids would sing, and this would be the joyous time. And I hope this morning as we read this, we see it as this great promise. And that when it says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, that this would be our call too, that we would see in this more than just a psalm about a place here in, on, in the Middle East. So let's, let's uh, read our Psalm 48 together, and then I would ask, uh, Prof, would you lead us in that psalm, please? Read the psalm for us and, lead, and then, and then, and then uh, lead us in our prayer. No. Um, it's really a good one. It comes out of the King James if you want. I'll, I'll sing it really fast. Sure, please. <laughs> Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, on the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation, the Lord of Of the north, the city of the great king. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Amen. Jesus Christ. And so 
Lord, we thank you that we can count ourselves uh, as the real Jews, as the real Israel. Yes. And Lord, uh, that we have much to look forward to in the future uh, as we finally and um, forever look forward to that great city, Lord. And so, Lord, today we, we pray for our country, we pray for Christians, Lord, as we begin to feel the, the pains and the the, uh, the sting of persecution as it begins here in this country, even though as many thousands of Christians around the world uh, feel the real persecution that comes um, as the devil raises his head and, and tries to uh, defeat us. Lord. We know that uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against us, Lord. And so we thank you in that, and we, we give you glory for all that you do, Lord to rest in you and through our faith, Lord, that uh, brought us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, today we thank you so much for who you are and what you mean to us. And Lord, how you impact our lives. And Father, how we have a vision for the future that yes, uh, is a great vision. Yes, Lord. Lord, help us keep that vision before us, ever before mm -hmm. us, Lord, uh, that you would always be the center of our lives, that the Lord Jesus would be praised in our congregation, and Lord, that we would show our love to you uh, through the acts that we do, the following of your law, and our love toward one another. So Lord, we ask all this today in the precious name of our Savior and King, that we will see that day. It is by no coincidence or accident that when you look at, at, at the nation of Israel, and as Paul will talk about this later on, he will talk about the true Israel in the midst and, and separate them from the false Israel, that there's this visible Israel out there, but within that there is a true Israel. And there's no, no accident or, or, or coincidence that we have that same reality in our churches today that when you look at the church, that there is a true church in the midst of so much falsehood. Um, let us continue to worship God this morning.